Good morning once again, and uh, such a joy to be able to worship with you and just to gather together in the name of our Lord. I um, hope you all had a great week and hope that uh, things that we've been learning here in first hour have been a blessing to you and that you've been able to uh, meditate on the doctrine of heaven as you go through the week. And uh, we're just um, so excited about, about what the Lord is, is teaching us in his word. Um, we've been just uh, thinking so much about heaven these last few number of weeks and just reflecting on the fact that, you know, our Christian lives just don't make sense unless we understand this truth and unless we have our hearts in heaven and unless we understand that our home is not here on this earth. Um, if we don't understand that we're aliens and strangers here and that we're really just here for a moment and that eternity is forever. Um, John Piper called this the the two seconds before eternity, the time that we spend on this earth. And if we just don't have that perspective, our Christian lives don't make sense. And so I trust that this uh, series has been a blessing to you. I trust that um, you have been uh, meditating on these things as we go through the week. Um, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Revelation 21 this morning. We're going to be continuing our series. This is, uh, if you're new with us, this is our fourth message in a five-part series on heaven entitled Heaven, Turning Our Hearts Toward Home. We've been learning that heaven is our home and that as Christians we need to turn our hearts there. And if you've been with us in our series these last three weeks, I want you to know that these last two messages are really, everything we've learned so far is really just to set up what we're going to see this week and next week. Um, this, these last two messages are crucial. They're they are foundational. They are just um, so important for your understanding of heaven and your longing there that really the last three weeks have been somewhat of a background, a backdrop, kind of correcting some general misconceptions in our hearts. But these next two weeks, we're really going to dive in and just do some, do some work together and see um, the details of our future home and our future life on the new earth. Uh, last week, we looked at the new earth, and we just took a general survey of our future home on the new earth. Chapter 21, verse 1, says, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and we just took that at face value. We said that if the Bible says that God's going to make a new earth, then that's exactly what he's going to make. He's going to make an earth as real and as physical and as tangible as the earth that we walk on today, except it is going to be a new earth. It is going to be free from the effects of sin and the curse. We saw a physical feature of the new earth. There is no longer any sea. We saw a spiritual feature of the new earth. There is no longer any curse. We saw a relational feature of the new earth. There is no more separation between us and God. We saw an emotional feature of the new earth. There is no more sorrow. And lastly, we looked at a personal or practical feature of the new earth. There will be no more chances, no more opportunities to come to Jesus Christ. Where you are when the new earth is created is where you will be for all of eternity. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when the gospel is being offered to the entire world. But when the new earth is created, all opportunities will be gone to come to Jesus Christ. Now, we looked at heaven in terms of a place, and that place is the new earth. This morning, we're going to look at heaven in terms of a city. Heaven in terms of a city. This city is a real city. It is a physical city. It is a tangible city. It has measurements. It has materials. It has dimensions. It has geographical designations such as north, south, east, and west. It is a real city that rests upon the real new earth. And this city's name is not New York. It is not New Jersey. It is not New Hampshire. It is, chapter 21, verse 2, the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. And it is a city, a real city. City, verse 2 says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. We're going to look at heaven in terms of a city. 
Now, why is it important for us to understand that heaven is not just a place, the new earth, that heaven is not just a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, but that heaven is a city? Why is that important for us? Well, I thought about this week about my own earthly love for, I have an earthly love for an earthly city. It's a temporal love. It doesn't compare to my love for the heavenly city. But I do have an earthly love for an earthly city, and that city is Los Angeles. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, the city of angels. Not really, but that's what they call it. And um, I love this city. In the words of Randy Newman, I love L.A. I mean, from the west side to the east side, from the south bay to the valley, everybody's happy all the time. And I love L.A. I was born and raised here. I grew up watching Magic vs. Bird and the Lakers vs. Celtics series on NBA on CBS. You guys remember that? The with cheesy computer graphics and uh, Brent Musburger calling the games. and I love L.A. I used to get so mad at those Boston fans who used to always, in that um, Boston Garden, always chant, beat L.A., beat L.A., and I always want to, want to shout back at the TV screen, you know, beat Boston, beat Boston, but it doesn't you know, flow as well as beat L.A. <laughs> I love L.A. When I um, grew up and had kids of my own, I took them to the Dodger games, and we always checked sat in the cheap seats, the bleachers where the real fans are, um, just great times. We never left in the seventh inning like other people, but we were real fans, stayed till the ninth inning, the bitter end, and sang along with Randy Newman when we won, and just, I love this city. And I thought about this whole idea of like, why do I have this affection for Los Angeles? Why do I love this city? I mean, I just love that you can wear shorts in the winter time and I just love that you can go from the mountains to the ocean in just a couple hours and I have this affection for this city called Los Angeles and the reason why I really boiled it down to why do I love this city I love this city because I know this city right I, mean, I don't I don't love Chicago why because I don't know Chicago I mean, you drop me off in the middle of Chicago, and I want to know where to go or what to do. I don't love Boston. I don't know anything about Boston, except they have the Celtics and the Patriots or whatever. I don't know much about Boston. But L.A., I know L.A. I was born here. I was raised here. I've lived on the west side, the east side, the north side, the south side. I've lived in the south, I mean, the Orange County. I know the traffic patterns. I know the weather patterns. I know that when you go over the 405 freeway, you're going to experience a 15-degree temperature change as the ocean breezes move back. I know every little detail of this city. And I love this city. Because I know the city inside and out. I can tell you what freeways to avoid at what times. I can tell you um, the surface streets to go on when it's traffic time. And I know all the ins and outs of this city. And that's why I love this city. I mean, you take me to, to Dallas, and I don't love Dallas. I don't know anything about Dallas. But I love L.A. because I know L.A. If you were to open to me a Thomas Guide of Los Angeles, I could point out, yeah, I've been there. I know what that looks like. I know this street. I know, I know L.A., so I love it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what I want to ask you this morning is do you love the heavenly city, the New Jerusalem? Do you love this city? Do you love this city far more than any earthly city? Maybe your hometown's not Los Angeles. Maybe it is Boston or New York or, or one of these places. Do you love the heavenly city more than you would any earthly city? Is your heart just longing to go there? Is your heart beating for this new Jerusalem? And if you're saying this morning, well, Dan, honestly, you know, honestly, it's not. Maybe the reason is because... You just don't know that much about it. I maybe you just haven't heard that much about it. Maybe some of you are saying, Dan, honestly, I didn't even know there was a city in heaven called the New Jerusalem. Well, that's what we're here for this morning. We want to learn about the city, and we want to get as intimately acquainted with this city called the New Jerusalem 
As much as you would be familiar with Los Angeles or Orange County or Garden Grove or Anaheim, that you would know the dimensions and the inside and the outside, that you would be able to draw in your, your mind a mental map of this city, not just for the purpose of knowing more about the Bible and winning a Bible Bowl or a trivia contest, but that your heart would love this city because you know what this city is like. So in the space of less than an hour, I'm going to try to give you a crash course as to your future city, the new Jerusalem. It is a real city that rests on a real earth, and it is your eternal home if you are a Christian this morning. We are not surprised that Scripture speaks much about heaven in terms of a city, Hebrews 11.9 said, By faith Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Why? For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Hebrews 11.16 says, They, the heroes of faith, desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Hebrews 12:22 says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. And Hebrews 13:14 says, For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. You see, when you look at the Bible, the saints of the Bible don't look at heaven in terms of this nebulous place that we don't understand what's going on in sort of this twilight zone. They saw a city, a real and lasting physical city. And even Abraham knew enough about the city that he longed to go there and that longing transformed the way that he lived here on earth. So let's look at this city. This morning I want to be your tour guide to the new Jerusalem. And I can't promise you I'll be as funny or as engaging as the tour guides at Disneyland or Universal Studios, but I can promise you that what we're going to see is far more glorious and far more encouraging than anything that we can ever see here on this earth. Our tour of the New Jerusalem is going to unfold for us in five distinct segments. First, we're going to see the presentation of the city. Second, we're going to look at the appearance of the city. Third, we're going to see the outside of the city. Fourth, we're going to look at the measurements of the city. And fifth, we're going to see the materials of the city. So the presentation, the appearance, the outside, the measurements, and then the materials. Let's take this tour together. First of all, let's look at the presentation of the city. Chapter 21, verse 2. John says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, as we look at this passage here, John is, has just witnessed the destruction of all sin and Satan and demons and unbelievers in the lake of fire. He's just witnessed the great white throne judgment as sin is dealt with with finality one last time. Last week we looked at verse 1 and we saw that John sees the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passes away. It disintegrates. It is uncreated as it were. It is annihilated into nothingness. This sin-cursed world passes away and John sees the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. A new created order, a new universe, which includes a new earth which will be our future home. And then you'll note in verse 2, John says, And I saw. That phrase is significant. It always in the book of Revelation signifies a new special feature in the vision that John's given. A new dimension. Something new is happening here. And I saw. In verse 1 he says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In verse 2 he says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. 
So this is something new. This is something distinctive. This is something exciting. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city. You will note here that this is a holy city. It is an undefiled city. It is an unpolluted city. It is a city free from the perversion and immorality and the idolatry that plagues modern cities. It is a holy, pure city. We understand that cities today constitute both the best of humanity and the worst of humanity. The best of academia, the best of community, the best of culture, the best of creativity, and the worst of sin, and the worst of pollution, and the worst of crime, and the worst of immorality. We're here, we expect to find a city that has all the best that cities have to offer without any of the worst that cities have to offer. It is a holy city. A holy city. And verse 2 says the city has a name. It is the new Jerusalem. We understand that Jerusalem, the earthly city, is the capital city of the nation of Israel. Here in the new earth, this new Jerusalem will not just be the capital city of a nation, but it will be the capital city of the entire earth. Now remember from last week we saw that there is no longer any sea, there is no longer any uh, geographical waters that separate the land masses from each other, so we can picture the new earth as a physical creation in which there is one capital city that rules over the entire new earth, and this capital city is our home. It is called the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And we understand from Scripture that uh, Jerusalem has always had a central place in God's affections. It has always been, as it were, the center of God's heart. Uh, Psalm 137, verse 5 says, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Jerusalem is, has always had a central place in God's affections and in God's economy. But the present earthly Jerusalem is under strife. It is at the center of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We know that the, cent, uh, the present Jerusalem is being torn apart by religious uh, difficulty and religious factions. But this new Jerusalem is a holy city that will be the capital city of the new earth and this new Jerusalem will be our future home. Now you look at verse 2, it says there that John saw this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now what we note here is that we are not witnessing the creation of the new Jerusalem so much as the presentation of the new Jerusalem to the new earth. We are not witnessing God creating the new Jerusalem as he created the new earth in chapter 21, verse 1. The new Jerusalem has actually been prepared and created at a time before this. And what we are seeing here is that it is descending out of heaven, already created from God, and it is coming to its eternal resting place onto the new earth. And John sees this coming out of heaven from God. Hebrews tells us that the architect and the builder of this city is God. And commentators have speculated that this may be the city that Jesus was talking about when he said, I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. There are many mansions. He wasn't talking in a nebulous fashion. He was talking about actual physicality. I'm going to go prepare a place for you and there's going to be mansions. There's going to be rooms in those mansions. And many have believe that what he's talking about here is he's going to go and build the new Jerusalem so that when it comes to its final resting place on the new earth, you will have a home there. So John sees this city coming down out of heaven from God, and he says it was made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. It was made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now let me just pause right here and just... Just let you know, you guys need to understand something about this account. Okay? There's nothing in this account that we can't understand. Okay? There's, uh, some people look at this and they say, you know, Revelation 21, 22, ah, I can't understand it. It's just too crazy. And I'm just not even going to read this part of the Bible because it's just, uh, you know, we'll just wait till heaven. 
We'll find out what it's like when we get there. And I just want to emphasize this morning that, you know, God could have easily written at chapter 21, verse 1, the words, um, heaven, wait till you get here. Amen. The grace be with you all. I mean, he could have done that and just said, you know what? You can't understand it, so why should I bother to explain it to you anyway? You know, God didn't do that. God gave us two whole chapters describing to us the realities of the eternal state. And there's nothing in this account that we can't understand. Now, now admittedly, there are some things that are just, we can't fully get our minds around, such as when John says it, the glory of God. We understand that we can't fully grasp that concept of the glory of God, but what I want you to know here is that John is taking pains to bring this down to our level so that we can understand it and that to some extent we can imagine this. We are meant to understand about heaven because this is the only way that it will transform our lives here on earth. So you know here that you, know, you might be lost already. You might be like, okay, holy city, New Jerusalem is coming down in heaven from God. Oh, that's, damn, you know, I just too much for me. I'll just shut off right now. Well, well wait a second. Verse 2, John brings it down to our level. It was made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Well, you understand that. You understand that because you've been to a wedding, and many of you have been in weddings. Many of you have been bridesmaids at a wedding. And what he's pointing out here is that this is like a wedding. Uh, you understand that if you are a bridesmaid at a wedding, you don't just wake up 30 minutes before the wedding starts and roll out of bed and throw on some jeans and go show up at the wedding. You've got to wake up hours before, you've got to prepare, you've got to get ready, you've got to get your makeup on, you've got to get your hairdo, you've got to get um, your, your dresses, you've got to get your flowers, you've got to get the accessories, you've got to get all this stuff ready. And then all of that preparation culminates in this one moment when the doors fling open and the pipe organ sounds and the bride is presented as a bride adorned for her husband. And it all culminates in this one climactic, beautiful moment and everybody stands and it's all happy. Well, there was a lot of time and preparation that went before that moment. And what John is simply saying here is that this moment is a lot like that moment. That God has been preparing this city. He's been making it pretty. He's been adorning it. He's been making it glorious. He's been building it. And he's been doing all of this. And now it all climaxes in the one moment where this city is now presented to the new earth. And I saw it, John says. And I saw it, and I'm relating it to you in language that you can understand. And so you are meant in, in your imagination to be able to see this as well. So don't shut off here. John's going to hold our hand through this, and he's going to give us pains to understand what's going on here. Jump forward to verse 9. John says, And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I shall show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now here in verse 9, the bridal metaphor is extended. It not only describes the presentation of the city to the new earth, but it actually describes the character of the city itself. The city not only looks like a bride as it is presented to the new earth, but it is actually the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now, I can't put it any more simply than this. What John is telling us in verse 9 is that Jesus loves this city. Jesus loves this city. And because he loves this city, we should love this city. It is his bride. It is his wife. He loves this city. Um, I can't tell you if Jesus loves L.A. Okay, I can't tell you if Jesus loves New York. I can't tell you if Jesus is rooting for Tampa Bay or Philadelphia in the World Series. I can tell you this. Jesus loves this city, the new Jerusalem. It is his bride. It is his wife. And it appears to be that Jesus calls this city his bride because the inhabitants of this city are his bride, his wife, as it were. Uh, we understand that the church in Ephesians 5 is called the bride of Christ. Here it appears that this metaphor is extended to include Old Testament saints and tribulation saints so that all the people of God are encompassed in this one metaphor and they are included in the New Jerusalem. And so Jesus views this city as his bride, the wife that he loves. This is the bride of Christ, the New Jerusalem. 
And so verse 10 says, He, that is the angel, carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. What John is saying here is that my view of the New Jerusalem is an aerial view. I was taken to a great and high mountain. I'm looking down. I am seeing a broad sweep of events and I'm seeing the city descend to the new earth. Uh, This is a lot like going to the Empire State Building and going to the top and seeing the sweep of New York or going to the top of the Sears Tower and seeing the sweep of Chicago. John says, I was taken to a great and high mountain. I'm seeing the vast sweep of this physical scene that is unfolding before me and I'm witnessing the presentation of the holy city to the new earth. Now that's the first part of our tour, the presentation. Let's look at the second part of the tour, and that is the appearance of the city. The appearance of the city. What does the city look like? What does John see as he looks at this city? Look at verse 11. He says, having the glory of God. Having the glory of God. John sums up the appearance of the city by saying, look, I'm going to explain this in in words that you can understand, but there is an element where you're not going to be able to understand this because it had the glory of God itself. And we understand the glory of God is the expression of the sum total of God's divine attributes. The glory of God is most uh, most often expressed in Scripture as dazzling, brilliant light. God said to Moses, you cannot see my face because no man can see my face and live. There's an element to God's glory which is humanly incomprehensible. And John says that this city had the glory of God. Now before you tip off on this side and, and shut off again and say, okay, I had the glory of God. I just, well, I'm not going to understand that, so why bother? Note how John immediately takes us back to language that we can understand and again holds our hands through this. The city had the glory of God, and then verse 11 he says, Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Now again, John's he's trying to get us to understand this. We understand, we may not fully understand the glory of God, but we understand stones, and we understand costly stones, and we understand precious stones. And we've held them in our hands, and we know what that's, ta- what that's like. And John says, what does this city look like? It had brilliance that was like a very costly stone. And then he names a specific stone that we should all be familiar with. He, he calls it jasper, which is a transliteration of the Greek term yaspas. And most commentators take this uh, stone to actually be a diamond, that this would be a diamond. And we're all familiar with diamonds. And um, those of you husbands who propose to your wife, you've researched diamonds and you know the four C's of diamonds, you know, cut, color, clarity, carrot. And you've, you've, you've know about diamonds. And we all know diamonds. And so John is taking pains to take us back and to say, let me hold your hand through this. Yeah, I have the glory of God. So you're not going to understand that completely. But you understand diamonds. You've researched diamonds. You've held diamonds in your hands. What this city looked like was a big, gigantic, humongous diamond city. That's what he's telling us. It is a diamond city. And if you can imagine to the extent that it's reflecting and reflecting the glory of God itself and the dimensions of its diamond-like brilliance, that's what it looked like. It is a diamond city. Now, this is going to be a a big diamond, okay? We're going to look at this diamond. It's like, it's going to be a big diamond. We get excited about these little bitty diamonds, and we should. They're, they're, they cost a lot of money, and they're very precious things, and they mean a lot. And But this is going to be a big diamond. We'll, we'll look at that as we go. What did the city look like? It had the very glory of God itself, and its brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper, It looked like a big, gigantic, diamond city. Now again, watch this. We're on the new earth. There's no more sea. 
it's it's a land mass that there's the water but there's not separation there's one capital city that's coming down out of heaven god's prepared it john sees it from a mountaintop a beautiful aerial view and he says this this gigantic diamond city that's coming down and it's going to rest upon the new earth and he's he's basically telling us that this is going to be our home this is going to be our home I love LA, but nothing compares to this. When I look at the New Jerusalem, um, I love LA, but I can't wait to get out of here because this is going to be some city. Third feature in our tour we looked at the presentation, we looked at the appearance. Let's look thirdly at the outside of the city. The outside of the city. Okay, this is going to be just real nuts and bolts. Okay, this is going to be like John opening a Thomas guide and just showing us, okay, here's the city. Let me, let me walk you through it. And there's nothing here that we can't understand. Verse 12 says, The city had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and names were written on them, which are those of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So John says, okay, look, I saw this city. It was a big diamond, big, gigantic, beautiful, glittering diamond that just came and rested upon the earth. Now, the first thing I saw was what goes on outside this big diamond city, and what's on the outside of this diamond city is a big wall. Okay, it's a wall. Now, we understand walls because we've known walls, we've seen walls. We know about the Berlin Wall, we know about the Great Wall of China. We know walls. Walls were, back in those days, used to um, surround cities. They were uh, symbols of the city's uh, security from invaders. Obviously, there's not going to be invaders who attack the New Jerusalem, but these walls are going to be a representation of the city's eternal security. And he says, I saw a wall. Now again, some people are going to look at this and say, well, what does he mean by that? I mean, he's got to mean something else besides the wall. Look, if I tell you this morning, you know, I have a tie on this morning. What does that make you think? Do you really think like, well, what does Dan mean by that? He must have some meaning behind He must not be talking about a tie. He must be talking about the, um, the spiritual uh, forces that he feels going around his neck and tightening. And that's what he really means. And I'm saying, no, I just mean that I have a tie on. It's a regular old tie. And when John says, I saw a wall, he's seeing a wall. It is a wall that goes around this city. This wall has, verse um, 12, gates at the wall. We understand walls and we understand gates. Disneyland has gates. You go in and out of Disneyland through the gates. The Honda Center has gates. You go in and out of the Honda Center through the gates. The Staples Center has gates. You go in and out of the stable center through the gates. Gates are places where you go in and out. They mark a fixed geographical boundary. And you enter and exit through the gates. This city has gates. The gates mark the fixed boundary of the city. And no doubt, as believers, we will go to this city and we will enter and exit through these gates in and out of the city. This would indicate to us that the city will be our home, but we will have freedom to go in and out of the city onto other parts of the new earth and possibly even the new universe. There are gates, and there is a number of gates. There are 12 gates. There are three gates, verse 13, on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. There will still be geographical designations on the new earth. North, south, east, and west. And this is just very plain and very specific. There's a big wall that surrounds the city. There are 12 gates in those walls. Three on the north, three on the south, three on the east, three on the west. And at the gates, verse 12, there are 12 angels. 12 angels. Now, we would understand this more as honor guards rather than active military. Uh, The angel who stood at the gate of the Garden of Eden, as it were, he kept Adam from entering into the Garden of Eden and entering into paradise. But these angels appear to be at the gates, not as a forbidding presence, but as a welcoming one, that they will actually welcome us as we enter and exit the gates of the new 
Jerusalem. Now, one other thought here, the Old Testament gates were oftentimes a common meeting place for people to talk and to converse and to fellowship. And so it would appear that these gates will actually be places where we will gather together and we will fellowship and we will talk to one another and we will have relationships. There is a wall. There are 12 gates. There are 12 angels at the gates. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, can you picture this in your mind with the specific details that is found in God's Word? Or are you still suffering from, you know, the Casper the Ghost view of heaven or the Twilight Zone view of heaven where you think of heaven and you just think of this, this ethereal existence? Well, that's not scriptural. God has given to us these details that we may grab a hold of them and when we think of heaven that we may imagine these things in our minds. That when you think of heaven, you need to think of, of gates and walls and north, south, east, west, and all these details that are very familiar to us. Now notice something really um, lovely about these gates. Verse 12 says that the gates have the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Now that would just be an eternal reminder of Israel's place in God's redemptive plan. The sons of Israel would be, in that sense, the foundation of the nation of Israel. Now if you're saying, wait a second, where's the church in this? Look down at verse 14. On the foundation stones of the wall were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The sons of Israel would be the foundation of the nation of Israel. And the apostles would be the foundation of the church. So in this city, there's going to be an eternal reminder of both the distinction of the nation of Israel and the church, as well as the inclusion of both in the eternal city of God. And that is just a wonderful feature of this city. So John shows us the presentation of the city is coming down out of heaven, resting upon the new earth. He uh, sees the um, appearance of the city. It looked like a giant, glittering, glorious diamond with the very brilliance of the glory of God. And he shows us the outside of the city. It has a wall that goes around it. The wall has 12 gates. There are three gates on the north, south, east, and west. There are angels at the gates. And there is an eternal reminder of both the place of the nation of Israel and the church in God's redemptive plan. Now, just a note about verse 14. This wall has foundation stones. This would indicate to us that the city actually comes down out of heaven and rests upon the new earth physically. Some have um, pictured the new Jerusalem as sort of like hang it comes down, but it doesn't actually rest upon the new earth it kind of hangs over the new earth and we sort of uh, fly up there and, and down and do stuff on the earth. And um, I believe a more accurate understanding of this text would be the foundation stones actually anchor the city physically on the new earth and the city comes to rest upon the new earth. And so we enter and exit the city and we have access to the rest of the new earth as well as the city itself. We saw the presentation, the appearance, and the outside. Let's go to the fourth segment in our tour, verse 15, and let's look at the measurements, the measurements of this city. This city has measurements, and they're measurements just like the measurements that we use. We use today miles, and we use yards, and we use feet to measure things, and this city is going to have those same type of measurements. Now, if you have the ESV, they... Um, in the ESV, they actually put this in terms of cubits and stadia. If you have the NASB, which is my translation here, they actually translate those uh, units into miles so that English readers can understand that. So I'm going to read to you the NASB, which actually gives to us the measurements in miles. Verse 15. And the one who spoke with me, that is the angel, had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates, and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width, and he measured the city 
with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height was equal, and he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. Now, the first thing I want you to note here is that this city is a cube. Okay, it is a cube city. It is a cube. Say, Dan, how do you know that? I know that because he tells us, verse 16, that the length and the width and the height are equal and the city is laid out as a square. So the best understanding of this text is we're looking at a cube city. Now, some have looked at this and said, well, actually, a pyramid would work also uh, with this, uh, these measurements. And that would be great, except for the fact that pyramids are usually associated with idolatry in human history. So that probably is not the best understanding of the text. The cube was the shape of the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament temple, so we would understand that this city is best taken to be a cube. It is a cube. Now you say, how big is this cube? It is, verse 16, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles high. That's how big the city is. Now that's a, that's a big cube, right? A big, gigantic, diamond cube. There are very specific measurements. Um, when I was in college, I roomed with a bunch of architects my first year in college, and I learned something about architects. Well, first of all, the architects don't sleep very much, and they work a lot. And second, I learned about architects that they are both creative and they are precise. I mean, they design all these crazy things, and they do all these beautiful things, but all of that creativity is funneled into this precision where they boil it down to blueprints, and they're able to measure things in millimeters and materials and, and do a course of action for construction. And they are both creative and precise. And when the Bible says that God is both the architect and builder of this city, what we would expect to see is both creativity and precision. And we see this incredible creativity in how God makes this city and we also see precision because he lays it out for us that there's dimensions. 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles up. That is the dimension of the city. Now, I did some math and just punched this into my calculator, and I came up with a volume of this cube. This uh, cube is 3 billion 375 million cubic miles as the volume. Now remember, this is a diamond, okay? And it rests upon the new earth. That is a big, big city. C.S. Lewis once said, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. What I want to say to you this morning is, dear brother or sister, get your heart off the mud pies of this world. Get your heart off the slums. Get your mind out of the gutter and look at this city. It is a monstrous city and God says this is going to be your home. One study says that this city, if it was placed on the present earth, the present United States, would equal all the combined areas of all the states of the United States except Montana, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, Washington, Oregon, California, Alaska, and Hawaii. What that study is saying that it would take up most of the United States, but this is not a country, this is a city. If it were to be placed on the United States, it is comparable to the distance between the Pacific Coast and the Mississippi River. The ground level alone of this city will be nearly 2 million square miles. That's 40 times bigger than England, 
15,000 times bigger than London. It's 10 times as big as France, Germany. It is far bigger than India. And remember, that's just ground level. The city goes up 1,500 miles. Another estimate was done that if this city consisted of different levels, and let's say each story was a generous 12 feet high, this city would have over 600,000 stories. Just imagine getting on an elevator. What floor do you want to get off on? Uh, I'll try the 511,112th floor, please. Now let me off there. It's a high city. I mean, it goes, goes up a pretty long way. How are we going to get up and down in the city? I don't know. There's going to be heavenly escalators, heavenly elevators. One possibility is that in our resurrected bodies, uh, we won't be constrained by the constraints of gravity on the new earth, that you know, Jesus ascended up into heaven in his resurrected body. Possibly we'll be able to, to just fly up and down, you know, 1,500 miles up, 1,500 miles down. That's a possibility. But the point is that this city has measurements, and its measurements are monstrous. They are monstrous. Someone actually did a study on this. A conservative Bible commentator did a study on this and tried to estimate. I don't know how he did this. I mean, I guess you can't really do this, but this is pure speculation, but it's kind of fun. Um, He speculated how many of the redeemed are going to be in this new Jerusalem. And he somehow came up with a number. I don't know how. And then he did a calculation of how, many, how much uh, personal space is each redeemed person going to be given in this new Jerusalem? And he came up with a number that, <laughs> that each of the redeemed is going to get approximately 72 acres of heavenly real estate in the new Jerusalem. And again, that's pure speculation. We don't know how many redeemed there's going to be. But the point is that when you think of heaven, are you this precise? I mean, can you name the dimensions? And if you can't, that probably explains why you don't really long for heaven that much. Because you can't love what you don't know. And if I didn't know L.A., I wouldn't love L.A. And if you don't know about the New Jerusalem, you're not going to love it very much. And if you don't love the New Jerusalem, you're not going to long for heaven because check this out. Chapter 21 and 22 are all about heaven. And look how much space in these two chapters is devoted to this city. If you miss out on the city, you've missed out on what God is trying to tell us about heaven. That there's a real city there. So you need to apply yourself to this and get a hold of this. It is so important for your Christian lives. Well, we looked at the presentation, the appearance, the outside. We looked at the measurements. And by the way, verse 17 says the wall itself is 72 yards. You can picture three-fourths of a football field, except it goes straight up. And then the city itself goes up 1,500 miles above that. That's the wall that surrounds the city. And then he says, because some people are going to look at this and say, Dan, I don't believe what you're saying. I think this is all just like, um, he's not talking to us about physical terms. He's just talking in symbolic language and you know miles aren't miles in heaven and this is all just uh, ethereal stuff and then he says in verse 17 look he measured the wall 72 yards according to human measurements which are the same as angelic measurements so he's kind of making a point here look a yard is a yard whether a human measures it or, or an angel does it a foot is a foot a mile is a mile north south east and west are the same whether an angel does it or a human does it You just need to know this, that you can understand this city. Well, last part of our tour. It's a pretty good tour so far, I hope. Last part of the tour, verse 18, the material of the city. Now, let me just ask you to do a little audience participation with me uh, this morning. Everybody, if you have a pen, take out your pen and hold it. Hold it up and look at your pen. Note that as you hold your pen, you are holding a real physical object that has real physical limits. You cannot pass your hand through this pen. You are, it has dimensions. It has time and space. It has limits. It has physicality. It can be touched. It is made out of material. It also, your pen, has 
color. Either it's blue or it's black or it's red. It has a color. Now, what we're going to see is that the city is just as real and as tangible and as physical as your pen. And it has color and has material and has fixed limits. It has material. Last part of our tour. Verse 18. And the material of the wall was jasper, which again is most best referred to a diamond. And the city was pure gold-like clear Glass. Now remember I told you the city looks like a big, gigantic, 3 billion cubic mile diamond that comes down and rests on the new earth. Well, actually, it looks like a diamond, but the material is not a diamond. The material is gold. The material of the wall um, is different from the material of the city. The material of the wall is jasper. It's diamond. The material of the city... Is actually gold, but it looks from afar like a big diamond. I'm taking pains to be specific here because this is how the text is specific. The material of the wall was jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. Now this is a gold city that looks like a diamond, but the gold is so pure that you can see right through it. And it all reflects and reflects the, the glory of God throughout the new earth. And then John takes a look at the foundation stones, verse 19. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. Now, there's a lot that's been said about these stones. The one thing I want you to get about these precious stones is that they are of all different types and shapes of color. So, once again, we see the big diamond, the glory of God, light, the city is made out of gold, which is clear and transparent, so you can see through it. And around it is a wall that is made out of the diamond material. But the foundation stones of the city are actually colorful. They are colorful. There is jasper, which is best understood as a diamond. There is sapphire, which is a brilliant blue stone. There is chalcedony which is a sky blue stone with stripes. There is emerald, which is bright green. There is sardonyx, which is a red and white striped stone. There is sardius, which is various shades of red. There is chrysolite, which is a transparent gold or yellow-hued type of stone. There is beryl, which is a stone of various color. There is topaz, which is a yellow-green stone. There is chrysoprase, which is gold-tinted green. There is jacinth, which is a blue or violet colored stone. And there is amethyst, which is a purple stone. So what we picture when we look at the New Jerusalem is the overall appearance is a big, gigantic, glorious, monstrous diamond. But what we also see as the glory of God comes in and shines off and in through this city is this dazzling explosion of color of purple and red and green and yellow. And it just explodes in dazzling light. This city has material. And then verse 21 says, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. To the readers of the New Testament, this would have been a climax because pearls would have been the most valuable of the precious stones. And so what John is saying here is that the entire city is made up of every type of precious stone, but the most precious of all is reserved for the gates where we enter and exit. Those gates are pearls. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. What is God saying to us in this passage? What is God telling you this morning? What is God trying to communicate to Cornerstone Bible Church and the members of this church and believers in Christ? I think there's a few things. I think what God is saying, first of all, is that if you are a believer in Christ, you need to see beauty. 
you need to see beauty as a part of your Christian life. You cannot live your Christian life just cranking it out, just doing the disciplines, just getting through life, getting through the day. You need to see something that is beautiful and transcendent and lovely and glorious, and you need to see it with the eyes of your heart. You need to ask God, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your word. And if you do not see beauty, you will not get very far as a Christian. Because being a Christian is about seeing something that is so beautiful and so glorious and so transcendent and so uplifting and so inspiring that everything in this life pales in comparison. Not because the things in this life are bad, but because what we've seen is more beautiful and more glorious than what we experience in this life. And so when we see these glorious things, then we come to the temptation of sin and we say, that's not beautiful. And we come to what the world offers us and we say, that's not very beautiful. And we come to the world's pleasures and money and and status and we say, that's not very beautiful. Why? Because I've seen something better. I've seen something beautiful. I've seen something glorious. And so when I look at the things of this world, yeah, they're great and I'm thankful for them, but they pale. They pale in comparison to what I've seen in Scripture. If you're a Christian this morning, you need to see beauty. You need to ask God to show something to your heart that is beautiful and beyond you, that you'd stop eating out of the slums of this world and you'd stop eating out of the mud of this world, you'd stop being so easily pleased and you would say, wow, my eyes have seen something that is glorious and beautiful. That's what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is not about doing better and you know, I'll just cranking it out. I'll be more faithful and you know, work harder. Being a Christian, I mean, those things are part of it, but being a Christian, the heart of it is you see something that's so magnificent, you're willing to give up everything in your life that you may get that one thing. And that's how Jesus presented salvation. You find a treasure, you see how beautiful it is, and you're willing to sell everything you have with joy because you just can't, you've seen something that is that, Beautiful. If you're a Christian this morning, you need to see beauty. And that's why God gave us this text, because He's saying to us, Look, look, child of God, there's beauty. There is beauty to be seen. You need to ask God, open my heart, open the eyes of my heart, that I may see these things, that the chains of my heart will be taken off, that I may be released to love Christ. I think what God is saying to us is you need to see something that is beautiful. Secondly, I think what God is saying to us this morning is you need to understand something about God's grace. If you're a believer in Christ, if you have trusted in Christ, you need to understand that God's grace is not just the absence of His wrath, but it is the utter lavishing of His blessing. You understand what I'm saying? When I'm saying that, you know, to be honest, I looked at this and I was like, why? I mean, why does God need to do this? To be honest, I'd be happy if God just rescued me from the great white throne. Chapter 20, verse 10. And God said, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to go to the lake of fire. Here, here's a doghouse in heaven. Okay, just, it's, It has your name on it. And you can just stay there for all eternity. And you can huddle in there. And I'll give you some little bit of food here and there. And you can just survive there. But you don't have to go to hell. If that was God's grace, man, 
Praise God, you've rescued me from hell. I don't have to burn for all eternity. I don't have to be alone for all eternity. I just have a place, a small, tiny little place on the new earth. I love my doghouse. That's all I could ever hope for is just a little doghouse and just lick the crumbs off the table of the blessing that you've set for others. God, that's more than I deserve. And God says to me and He says to you, you know, if you've trusted in Christ, I'm not just going to rescue you from hell and give you a doghouse. I'm making you a city. And my grace is not just the absence of wrath. It is the complete lavishing of my blessing and my favor into your life. And how do we know that? Because look at what God's prepared for us. He's given to us this city. And He said, You, you, member of Cornerstone Bible Church, you, believer in Christ this morning, you, this is your home. That place you go home to today, that's not your home. That's just a temporary resting place. This city, Garden Grove, Orange County, Los Angeles, that's not your home. This is your home. And why? Why would we be given such unfathomable blessing when it would be enough just to save us from the wrath that is to come? Well, God says, you need to understand something about my grace. My grace is not just that I remove from you my wrath. My grace is is that I'm pouring into your life my blessing. And dear brother and sister in Christ, if you don't understand that, if you don't understand that feature of God's grace, your relationship with God is going to suffer. You're going to struggle with guilt and with legalism. You're going to be hindered in your walk with God until you come to grips with this fact. God doesn't just want to take away His wrath from your life. God wants to pour His grace into your life, His blessing. And that's all through what Christ has accomplished at the cross on our behalf. First, I think what God is saying to us, Cornerstone Bible Church, is you need to see beauty. Secondly, is you need to understand something about my grace. And thirdly, you need to understand how short life is. You really do. You have to come to grips with this fact that, you know, you're here, average lifespan, if God gives you a full lifespan, you're here 70, 80 years and then you fly away. You have to come to grips with the fact that you're not going to be here forever. Someday, and it may be sooner than you think, you're going to die. And this world is going to bury you, just as it's buried everyone else that's ever lived. And people are going to look at you just as we look at people who lived 100, 200 years ago, and they're going to say, they were here and they're gone. That this life is brief. It is but a vapor that is here and it vanishes away. And our eternity is in heaven. And brothers and sisters, I think what God would say to us through this passage and through this series you don't have much time. And so you need to make your life count. You need to take this brief time that God has given to you and you need to invest it in eternity. Because you know what? Everything in this life, it's going to burn. It's going to burn. And all that stuff you've labored for all your life that is not eternal in value is all going to go up in smoke. What is lasting is 
eternity. Are you living for eternity? Are you investing your life and your talents in things that will matter for all of eternity? And when you go to the Bible, you find that this isn't complicated. This doesn't mean that everyone needs to go to another country. It doesn't mean that everyone needs to you know, fast and pray for a week straight. What it does mean is that you're taking the time, talents, and opportunities that God has given to you, and you're being faithful with those things. Then what God would say to us is you need to see something that is beautiful. You need to understand my grace. And brothers and sisters in Christ... You need to make your life count. Because everything in this life, it's going to burn. But what is real and what is lasting is this city, the new Jerusalem. John Bunyan wrote the classic analogy called the Pilgrim's Progress. At one point in his story, he focused on the dialogue between two pilgrims who are on their way to the celestial city. And as these two pilgrims go along to the celestial city, one asks the other, when do you find yourself in your most wholesome and most vigorous spiritual state? And the answer of the other was, it is when I think of the place where I am going. And Christians, that's our lives. We will be in the most vigorous and healthy and strongest of spiritual states when we are most thinking of the place that we are going. And so Hebrews 13:14 says, "Here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come." And we've looked at the presentation of the city, the appearance of the city, the outside of the city, the measurements of the city. We've looked at the materials of the city. There's only one last thing we need to cover, and that is the inside of the city. You say, "Dan, wow." What a tour. I love this city. I can't wait to get there, but damn, what am I going to do inside this city? I want to know what's on the inside of the city. To hear about that, you're going to have to come back next week. (laughs) As we look at the inside of the city and what we will do in heaven for all eternity. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, our hearts are filled with thanks and praise for all you have done and all that you will do. Thank you so much for our salvation. Thank you for the free offer of grace in the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, we confess that you have given to us what we do not deserve. Father, we would be filled with praise if you would just rescue us from hell and give to us a doghouse in heaven. Father, thank you that you have prepared for us a city. And Father, I pray that your word will shape and transform our theology of heaven, that our hearts may be set there, that we may run this race here on earth with endurance and give you praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.